Hello and welcome to episode 401 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the maybe soon to have a head coach, Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, look, they're probably going to hire a coach. I'm very confident. Of that. I don't think they're going to go the entire season without a coach, or even the offseason without a coach. Uh, they are down to two teams left. We thought there were three candidates for those two spots. One of them pulled out. Turns out there might be a, a sneaky candidate or two in the, in the mix. Uh, we will get to that all in a second. I feel like we treat this as kind of a semi-emergency pod and talk about the state of the Seahawks coaching search with Ben Johnson uh, withdrawing his name at the top of the podcast. But first, I don't want to let that overshadow. It's the Highland School District episode of the podcast, number HSD 401. Shouts to Highland School District. Nothing more to add here. <laughs> We're on. We are on the second version. There will always be the lost Felton Cast episode that was recorded that was deemed too bad by ESPN's <laughs> Kevin Felton, <laughs> which had a lot of thoughts about the Highland School District 401. The scroll when when you uh, 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 are watching, <clears throat> you could have done the scroll again. I can't do the scroll again. Look, this it just I I, ha- I have to say that off the cuff. I can't re- recreate the magic of talking about the scroll when mm, it's snowing. There's not much magic there. I assure you. <laughs> I assure you there was not much We recorded like 35 minutes of a podcast before ESPN's Kevin Feldman deemed it too bad to air. So here we are on, on try number two. Anyway, Highland School District, home to, uh, 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 this maybe will lead us to our toasts, three quarters of the Talkin' Taco Time co-hosts. All right, well, before we get to our toast, let's talk about this week's beer and our search for Seattle's best IPA, which is taking only slightly longer than the Seahawks head coaching search. Uh, this week from our friends at E9 Brewing in Tacoma, it's the Sand Rider Warlock IPA. And uh, it, I discussed last week how long I spent in front of the fridges at Beer Junction trying to tease out which of the E9 beers were, was their like core IPA as opposed to their seasonal or limited release ones. And it turns out I was from the description I was completely wrong, which I did not read before I purchased this. Uh, the Sandrider Warlock IPA is their com- a collaboration West Coast IPA celebrating the release of the new 7-inch record Aviary slash Boleen by our friend Sandrider, out now on Alternative Tentacles Record. Uh, the Sandrider Warlock IPA is a fruit forward has fruit forward hop characteristics with a piney backbone from generous dry hopping from Strata and experimental HBC 586. So, it's unclear to me from the website what E9's core IPA is. That where's E9? Is that's in White Center? No, Tacoma. Oh, okay. Oh, duh. Of course. Yeah, I said that a second ago. Uh, they've advertised Tacoma. Clearly, first I was craft listening. Brewery. <laughs> Just thinking about the podcast that got deleted. <laughs> I was hoping you might have better energy on this podcast. So far, not so much. No, no, it's fine. On I this version. Just... Well, as you were saying, a congratulations again to our Talking Taco Time co-host, Randy Cote, who officially completed his quest to visit all 79 Taco Time Northwest locations on Saturday at Rainier Avenue. Uh, we recorded a podcast afterwards that you should be sure to check out. It was a nice, nice brisk listen celebrating the moment. But once again, shouts to Taco Time Northwest for copying our meals and going above and beyond to celebrate Randy. 
Uh, I see that you still have one of the 79 balloons here in your living room. Uh, the mariachi band was terrific. And it was a shouts to the, the listener who came out. So it was a great time. You have nothing more to add on that? <laughs> that was off the cuff, too. You can't recreate that magic. Never, never again. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to flip out of being upset about the first podcast being deleted, but it's not yet. <laughs> well, you're not going to flip out of being upset on this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> next when we talk about the Defensive Rookie of the Year. It's congrats to Devin Witherspoon, one of five <laughs> finalists for NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, which will be presented at NFL Honors on February 8th. Jalen Carter of the Philadelphia Eagles remains the heavy favorite to <laughs> yes, win the we award. Will, we will see many fine candidates in there, all, all very good football players. Uh, many of them made plays throughout the season, which people saw. Um, Again, Jalen Carter, number six in the NFL in pass oh, rush well. win rate. I think Witherspoon did end up PFF's top-rated rookie, but Jalen Carter was right behind him. And then the other factor if, that truly hurt Witherspoon, although he was never the favorite, he might have, was he the? I don't think he was the favorite even after the Monday night game. I don't know if he was ever the favorite. He was very close at that point, but then not playing a full season due to injuries. I think. I think really. I'm, I'm this close to saying chances. other things about Jalen Carter and derailing this podcast too, but it's it's okay. Uh, anyway, v- very good candidates, really good football players, all of them, and you know most importantly, they made plays on the sorry play on the field. Um, I I really thought play that Jalen Carter made this year was great, and. Uh, you know, may the best candidate win. <laughs> well, speaking of Witherspoon, congrats to Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, and Nick Ballore, who were selected to the Pro Bowl as injury replacements. They'll join Witherspoon, Julian Love, and Bobby Wagner at the Pro Bowl. So the Seahawks will be well represented on the final game day roster. All right, it's been a while since we've hit this one. A lot last year when we learned a lot about the UW track and field and cross-country programs. But congrats to UW runner Luke Hauser, the defending NCAA champion in the mile, who set a school record of 3 minutes 51 seconds, 0.73 seconds at Saturday's Mile City event at Dempsey Indoor there we go. Center. So I think five Huskies in total ran sub-355 miles, and it was the fourth fastest mile run by any NCAA runner so far this year. So a, a very strong performance, or maybe all time. All right, lastly this week, we have a listener question. Uh, inspired by, so WNBA MVP Neka Ogumike, who announced last week that she is going to leave the Los Angeles Sparks in free agency. One of the five teams she is meeting with is the Seattle Storm, was here in Seattle last week. Uh, we saw, thanks to Circling Seattle Sports on Twitter, pictures of Climate Pledge Arena welcoming her on her tour uh, with the mocked-up Storm jersey. Uh, but posing, which way better than, I don't know if you caught this, the Ole Miss photoshops of the UW players that transferred to Ole Miss, like they need to step their game up. It's like they just got computers in Mississippi. Oh, Come on. Okay. <laughs> the <laughs> Ole Miss photoshops are specifically bad. They looked really, really poor. You won't begrudge the players, but you'll begrudge Ole Miss in their photoshop. <laughs> oh, I certainly will. <laughs> we are not above anything else. <laughs> Begrudging the players is, is the only thing that we're above. Photoshop ability of, of the marketing department of the Ole, Ole Miss athletic department. Not above that. I didn't actually... I, I mean, I can't I go out there them. and play, but guess what? I can Photoshop some shit. Yeah. <laughs> you, by Photoshop, you mean MS Paint? <laughs> no. Back in the day when I worked for the Storm, I did actually Photoshop. I, I wouldn't Photoshop like full jerseys at that point. 
Photoshop's come a long way since then. What about what do we think about Gary and Hatchet in Oklahoma? Pretty solid Photoshop. If that that's what your trade grades are now. <laughs> is this good? Is that good to you? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. You think you don't think that looks natural? I don't know. I, mean, I, looks, I don't I haven't seen these Ole Miss ones that Okay, so I have to look up Justice Bulu. Bulo? Julius. Julius. Julius well, I don't know anything about him. Nick Kalepo would be the Both other. of them? Yeah, both guards went to Mississippi as a Are you as a kidding band. me? Yeah. No, I think I knew all this information. Um, wait, where am I? <clears throat> where am I going to see specifically this Photoshop? I, I, I mean, if someone does their tweets, but I don't know. You Here, I'll, I'll, just go I'll, to I'll find it. Twitter find account. It. <clears throat> I don't think it's got to be. Can't be that hard to find. After all, we've had computers here a long time. <laughs> we should be able to find it. <laughs> These are pretty bad. No, that's not from Ole Miss, is that it? That is not from Ole Miss. That's not the one I'm looking at. I've seen it. The, the this one, one that still has the dogs on the helmet, but they bought. They didn't bother to Photoshop the helmet, just the jersey. The one that he posted, I'm pretty sure, is a red jersey. So uh, maybe go to his his personal Twitter account. And then... just, there's one Kalepo Nate that just says UW student. That's the only one I'm seeing. Oh, because he doesn't. It's not under his. His full name is not Nate. So I th- yeah, it was under a slightly different name now that I think about it. This is an unexpectedly long detour in this second I podcast. found Julius Bulow. <clears throat> oh, that's right. It was a white jersey, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty bad Photoshop. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging I don't know if it's that much worse than the Oklahoma one, though. I think it's, I think it's noticeably worse. Look at the, the numbers. They're not <laughs> formatted to the jersey at all. Like... It's not great. Uh, but I guess it. Anyways, back to Neko Ogumake. Was in Seattle last week, posted on Instagram a photo of the swag bag. I'm the Nate Kalepo one is not bad. Yeah, that one's not as bad. I guess I was mostly thinking of the Julius Bulow one. All right. Uh, posted a photo of the gift bag that the storm had left in her hotel room, which featured brown family wine, coffee from Cafe Vita, and Seattle chocolates. And the listener, I believe it was Chris Wheeler, posed the question, what's in the Pelton cast version of this swag bag? So uh, obviously no coffee for me. And I'm, I'm going, instead of wine, we're going beer. I guess we're searching for Seattle's best IPA. But I, I would say probably Imani's has got to be in there. Is like an iconic. I, you want a Rainier Tallboy to give the, the recipient something <laughs> to Gumake's use for love scale? That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she may be more of the uh, the manis than the the Rainier Tallboy. I think some cookies from Treat Cookies are a must. It's tough because a lot of the food that we talked about. Do they can manis now? Yeah. Oh, don't they? I don't know. I think they probably do. Maybe. I, I mean, obviously, they started doing it during the pandemic. I don't think they stopped doing it, did they? I guess I haven't I haven't drank it of a, a can anytime recently. Uh. Yeah, I'm not sure what else would be in mind necessarily. Those are those are the core things, I think. I mean, obviously, a lot of what we try, talk about doesn't translate. Like, you know, I don't know if you want to put the frozen four pack of crisp burritos necessarily in there. Maybe the bottle of Taco Time hot sauce could go in there, now available at all locations. So if you've got more suggestions, please let us know uh, at Pelton Mailbag, at Pelton Mailbag, Peltoncast at gmail.com or on the Discord. All right, with that, let's talk about the Seahawks and the state of their coaching search which no longer includes Ben Johnson after he withdrew 
on Monday morning uh, or Tuesday morning, a day after interviewing with the Seahawks, who had been the loss of the Lions and particularly the Ravens in the championship games facilitated them meeting with their final two candidates, it seems like, in person, Johnson and Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, who they otherwise would have, if the Ravens had won, would not have been able to speak to until after the Super Bowl because they did not request a virtual first interview. Choose your fighter here. <laughs> Trist- no, not on the podcast. Tristan be- being so off color that you have to delete the entire podcast or Tristan responding to work chats. <laughs> Those are my only two options. <laughs> Those are your fighters. Sorry. <laughs> the, um, anyway, what were you saying, Seahawks? <laughs> <laughs> you have takes about the Ben, John- ben Johnson withdrawing. You want to just start there? Uh, I mean, my, it's fine. Like, I don't... I'm not here to give Ben Johnson career advice. My only interest in this scenario is the Seahawks finding a head coach. I think overall, if you have an opportunity to be a head coach, that you should take that opportunity as long as it's at a reasonable organization. And if but ben- you you put forward the position the, on t- Discord that you thought that Ben Johnson, this was the save face. I know oh, I'm not going to get it no, withdrawn. I think the amount of times that people truly are backing out of something without another motive or reason is like I we are talking minuscule. I don't know. Motive I think, is I think, probably the wrong way to put I it. Think I think Dan Lanning didn't get offered the Alabama job, and I think Keelan DeBoer has been done for a long time. I think Dan Lanning used that as, or, or maybe they already had the conversation about Alabama months ago. I mean, I don't think Dan Lanning got offered the Alabama job, but he also announced it before, like the day after, as opposed to like Sark and and uh, uh, wait, Mike Blakey on Florida State's head coach. Mike Marvell. Who, like it's when you get when you announce it and then hours later the other coach is picked, that's when it's clearly, you know. And I don't think that was face saving either, because I think those coaches might have been in the running. They got new contracts. No, I, I don't know if they were but in the running is different than But do you think Kalen DeBoer, like out of every single coach in America, was Alabama's first choice? No, I think that they already had vetted these coaches. They have the same fucking agent. You understand? I, like, if I'm people aware. actually think that Nick Saban woke up that morning, informed his agent, hey, I'm going to retire from being the head coach at Alabama. I know. And I then his, his agent was like, well, golly gee, Alabama's going to need another coach. Why don't I contact my client, Dan Lanning? Like, it's fucking psychotic to think that that's actually how it happened. This shit was done. The conversation with Dan Lanning happened a month ago. The conversation with Kalen DeBoer happened. I mean, we're now a month, almost a month past it. But, like, it happened a month before this. I, the second I don't know if I Nick believe Saban, that. The second that Nick Saban was like, hey, I think I'm going to retire, that's when Jimmy Sexton was on the phone with Alabama's AD. It wasn't a, like, oh, well, let's wait and see. There were backup plans in place for a long time. They couldn't do the official negotiating probably until after, but like they'd already been through whether Dan Lanning was interested in having the conversation with Alabama. He used that as a marketing tool to promote himself at the University of Oregon and did a fucking phenomenal job of it, right? Jamar Muhammad was impressed. What? Jamar Muhammad was impressed. We don't begrudge any athletes. (laughs) Just doing their best. <sighs> Making choices <laughs> to play at whatever school they'd like. But god damn it if they don't Photoshop his jersey right. <laughs> so help me God. Anyway. Uh 
All of that stuff happened. I think Ben Johnson had a strong understanding. Agents know this shit before the general public knows it. Agents know this shit before Adam Schefter knows it. Agents know this shit. They are the first ones. Agents control a lot of this. They are having these conversations at the team level, and then it reaches the public level. I think that Ben Johnson, I, I think there is a strong chance that Ben Johnson was not going to be offered either of these jobs. I, he, had he even interviewed for the Washington job yet? I mean, I don't know that I would say that the interview necessarily makes or breaks things. But again, the difference is, like, when Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman pulled out of the Huskies coaching search, Jed Fish got introduced two hours, announced two hours later. Like, here we are, I don't know how many hours we are later at this point, 12 hours, something like that. So you still don't have a head coach. You have to negotiate. These are complicated deals to negotiate. But once you, you could be like, yes, all, all parties they're can actually agree. not that complicated to negotiate. I don't agree with that because once you have an idea, like a broad idea that, yes, I want to be the head coach. Yes, we want you as the head coach. Then you figure out the details later, which sometimes comes back to bite people because the contracts aren't signed until well down the road. But, I, I'm not 100 percent convinced, but but fine. Let's take it at face value. Let's say that Ben Johnson backed out of this. To me, if you have an opportunity to be a head coach, and like, in fact, this goes back to the Pelton Cast Golden Rule, right? People are bad at it. Ultimately, the Golden Rule comes down to people are bad at predicting things in the future, right? No, not necessarily that, because even when people predict things in the future, they don't know how they're actually going to feel when they happen. It's the Pelton Cast Golden Rule to me. Okay. Like, you can say, Yes, if the Mariners won the World Series, it wouldn't matter what else happened after then. But then the Mariners would win the World Series, and you'd still get pissed off about things. That's the Pelton Gas Golden Rule. Yes. <laughs> the Pelton Gas Golden Rule involves some sort of fanciful world. <laughs> <laughs> Where the Mariners are winning the World Series. Where the Mariners are winning the World Series. I, I think that if Ben Johnson had an opportunity to be a head coach of the Washington Commanders or the Seattle Seahawks and chose not to do that, I think that is a very poor decision. But again, I it think doesn't also, matter what I think about Ben Johnson. I, I agree, but it does matter to the process what the Seahawks think about Ben Johnson if the, Ben Johnson made the choice or if the Seahawks made the choice. And I do think there is a, a middle ground scenario. You know, Part of the reporting was uh, from Adam Shafter was that teams were concerned about his his salary demands. And I think there is a scenario where Ben Johnson said, look, I am in a good situation right now. I want to try to help the Lions win a Super Bowl. So you're going to have to show this level of commitment if I'm going to leave to be a head coach. And the Seahawks might not have been willing to do that. And that's oh. both the Seahawks making a choice and Ben Johnson making but a choice, not one of them unilaterally I also eliminating think... the other. <clears throat> ben Johnson, I think the Seahawks would be right to do that. I think Ben Johnson probably would have been a good head coach for the Seahawks. But at the same time, look, we don't know what the dollar amounts were. But, like, there's This is also hypothetical. Amount. There's a dollar amount that doesn't make sense for a first-time head coach. Actually, I disagree with that. And I think this is a, an interesting point that I don't think I've seen anyone make. With players, and this is an unfortunate situation where players are pitted against each other. In a salary cap league, what you spend on players is important because it determines what you can spend on other players. You can spend whatever the fuck you want on coaches. So, like, it's like baseball in that regard. The only thing is how much you want to spend. We know the Seahawks have all the money. This money should not be whatsoever a concern. If they think Ben Johnson is, like, a 1% better candidate than Mike McDonald and he wants 50% more salary, the only obstacle to that is if it makes him harder to fire down the road. 
But again, if money is no object, then it shouldn't. Like the Milwaukee I mean, Bucks we, are paying we, we three coaches. See, we may not see the impact of that money being spent necessarily on the field, but there may be places that the extra money for coaches matter. I suppose, but I, it's, it seems hypocritical to me to be so concerned with the Mariners not spending in an uncapped league. I, I guess and what not I'm saying is that with, I don't know if, if Ben Johnson is coming in as like a top five paid coach in the league. Again, I mean, I guess it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't affect us at all, probably. Do I think that like Ben Johnson merits that based on his track That's record? what I'm saying. Is no, that, but they didn't he, spend a tire Jim Harbaugh. They didn't spend to hire Bill Belichick. Like, I, at some point, you just got to pick the best coach and not worry about the money part of it. Sure. I agree. But it's not going to be Ben Johnson. So, like, we can just wipe Ben Johnson from our minds because the chances of the Seahawks coach ever being Ben Johnson are basically zero. I would agree with that. Because it's right now. And I think that's the thing about this process that's been a little bit frustrating. And I actually feel on a better... I feel in this moment before the Seahawks have a head coach process-wise and everything. I think, at this point last week, the Seahawks hadn't even requested an interview with Mike McDonald. If I said it last week. Like, if you wanted to evaluate what they were doing from a process standpoint, the single biggest complaint at that point was that they hadn't interviewed Mike McDonald. And then subsequently, the reporting came that they were willing to wait until after the Super Bowl if that's what it took to, to interview Mike McDonald. This team is very all over the place. Maybe it wasn't just Pete Carroll that was making the Seahawks very all over the place. <laughs> Fair, but also the the thing the advantage that they now have is with Washington is the only other team out there. Like there's not as much competition as if there were still six jobs. They're out competing teams. <laughs> there was the one time that Pete Carroll talked about. It was Zach Miller in, in at high school, right? And when he was like, "I went, we went to his pro day. We like outlasted everybody else. We felt like we'd like won the day when he was at USC." And I remember hearing that and just being like, "God damn, Pete Carroll, I love you." Where he's like, "We are gonna work harder than everybody else. That's our out competing you. Like we're USC, yes, but we're not gonna sit there and be we're USC. We're gonna be USC and we're gonna outlast you too." You, you convince me. Hire Pete Carroll. I'm telling you right now, if you could look at, take Mike McDonald out of the situation, which we'll talk about in a second, every other candidate, I'm picking Pete Carroll over them. I mean, someone... If, it's, was, Pete, if it's Ben Johnson, if it's Mike McDonald, give me, give me one of those two. Let's take a shot. Everybody else, if Dan Quinn is the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, they fucked up this process. I mean, Pat, I think it was Patton on the Discord who did make a compelling point that Dan Quinn could be an upgrade over Pete Carroll if he feels less empowered to meddle offensively. So that's the case. That's, but we can talk about that when we get there. We all know a lot about Dan Quinn. Let's talk about Mike McDonald since he is late to the Seahawks coaching search. Uh, like Johnson, another fast riser at age 36, did not play football at Georgia, but started his career as a grad assistant there under Mark Richt. He moved to Baltimore in 2014, starting as an intern and advancing to linebacker coach before going from Harbaugh to Harbaugh as defensive coordinator at Michigan for the 2021 season, the Wolverines' first trip to the CFP under Jim. After one season, uh, McDonald returned to the Ravens as defensive coordinator after Wink Martindale was let go. The Ravens improved after finishing 28th in the defensive DVOA during an injury plague 2021 back to 8th last season, uh, one spot better than they'd been in 2020, and then finished number one in defensive DVOA this season. And even though 
you know, Mike McDonald is coming off of a loss in the championship game. This I was mean, not a Dan Quinn style no, loss. Like yeah, that defense did its job against Patrick Mahomes. It was the offense that didn't keep up. I don't think we should overjudge. I mean, I think the Bobby Slowick stuff is kind of like it's one. Why are we judging him over one game? I mean, what we, we should judge is that the Texans offense ranked like 16th. I I don't know that that's necessarily why Bobby Bobby Slovic, who did not get a second interview, and Slovic, who, who did not get a second interview and extended his contract with the Texans <laughs> subsequently, fell out of the running. It also could have been based on his interview. But yes, you definitely should I think not he was just it. a little bit not quite ready. Yeah, and, I mean, this is his first year calling plays. If there's... If there's anything about Mike McDonald that concerns me, it's that piece as well. But I do think at the same time, there's a little bit of he's just risen through the ranks very, very quickly. And generally speaking, the one thing that really helps in the NFL is nepotism, of course. But beyond that, seeing coaches that have come through the ranks very quickly where they've been, it's like people generally can recognize talent among coaches and you do have to have some trust between the two respective Harbaugh's that, that they saw Mike McDonald as a very, very good coach that they were both willing to promote very quickly. And as a defensive coach, ultimately what matters the most for the Baltimore Ravens, if we understand anything about football is that the skill on the Baltimore Ravens defense is still the most important thing. Number one, by far, probably true with most, most offensive defenses at the same time, if you have that skill and are able to have them be the best defense in the league, that's probably a good thing. And Mike McDonald is about half Pete Carroll's age. so He's, he's not about half Pete Carroll's age. Is he literally half? <laughs> Pete Carroll is 72 years old. He's 37. So he's... he's. I thought McDonald was 36. Okay. Uh, if he's 36, then he is literally... I believe Ben Johnson was 37. Okay, yeah. He's, thir- he's 36. He is exactly half Pete Carroll's age. So you do have to think that his ability to be flexible about the defense, to adjust to... Situate, situational defense and how defense is going to change over time. But also on the offensive side, you know, John Harbaugh is not an offensive coach. He's not a defensive coach necessarily. He's been in kind of both places. And it's funny because Pete, John Schneider touted at the outset of this, the value of like having coached in special teams and having that holistic view. So he did not speak to anyone with the special well, teams background. <laughs> of course they didn't. But I think that, being from that John Harbaugh tree, who's been pretty good at fourth downs, generally. Yeah, not not strong this season, but as we loaded last week, special teams coordinators actually have the best track record of going forward on fourth downs because of Harbaugh. Kind of incredible. So he's been pretty good at fourth downs. Their track record has, hasn't been great this year. At the same time, they've probably been more willing to punt because of how good the defense is. Correct. And, and Mike McDonald's defense is. They also were just like one of the best teams of all time. During the regular season, so you kind of can't complain about almost anything they were doing. Yeah, uh, and I don't think that they cost themselves in that playoff game because of not going for fourth downs. I think the Chiefs' defense is just really fucking good too. Uh, yeah. So, I think two other points on McDonald on this topic specifically. Number one, the word that people always describe use to describe him, really a feature about him on the Ravens' website, is analytical. So that's that's a that's a pro in my opinion. Uh, number two. When he started as an intern, one of the people he was interning in the same office with was Eugene Shen, who has helped with 
uh, Ravens analytics at the coaching staff level. So I, there was that like direct exposure at the outset of his career that I think is a positive. I also like that he's got both a college and a pro background because I think a lot of the creativity defensively is coming from the college game where they have to deal with these really pass-heavy spread attacks, although the, the emphasis of the NFL and the creativity there is probably a little different in terms of taking away deep passes in particular. Yeah, I mean... Mike McDonald's been good everywhere he's been. I think the chances of him being aggressive on fourth downs, or at the very least more aggressive on fourth downs than Pete Carroll, is fairly high. I think the chances of him being uh, more able to adjust things defensively if something isn't working is probably higher. I still think there's a good defense. We talked about this during the season. There's a good defense in that Seahawks defense. I mean, right they ended now. up putting how many players in the Pro Bowl? I guess I guess today's players weren't, but three Pro Bowlers from this defense. It's kind of bonkers considering just how terrible of a defense they were. And I think that if, if anybody was going to find the good defense from there, it's probably Mike McDonald of any of the head coaching candidates. So we'll see. I mean, I think it is funny where you get to this point of like, all of a sudden you're just so excited about what's available. We're tracking flights from Mike McDonald, which I think even like starting the process, give me one of the coordinator offensive coordinators first. But after that, it was like Mike McDonald. And the thing that I, and again, I, I have to respect him because of how much I hate that they have him. He gives me Dan Lanning vibes. <laughs> that and, seems plausible. And like, look, Dan Lanning was really good at this shit. It, he has the Georgia background, right? I wonder it, if he worked with Dan overlap. No, I guess he wouldn't have overlapped. This was, he was on Kirby. Dan Lanning was all Kirby smart right, era. And this right. is more Mark Richter. But like, I, I think that if anything, he probably compared the defensive knowledge, but a coach has to be overall. You don't just coach one side of the ball. And I think if anybody is able to do that, I probably have more faith in Mike McDonald than almost anybody else. And, you know, he was there at Baltimore as they completely overhauled their offense with Todd Monken this year. Yep. And the team was excellent with that. So, like, he's sort of seen it in action. It feels like a risk worth taking and probably the best option right now. And one that I would look at as, A, it's fun having a brand new coach, right? It's just not fun having Dan Quinn. And that's what, the, winning is fun, but like, you also just want a coach where you're like, yeah, I'm excited about that guy being my coach. I mean, the one thing about Dan Quinn is it would be an extension of the Carroll era in some regards but in terms of keeping just the... keep Pete Carroll as your coach. <laughs> Great. That, I don't need an extension of Carroll era. In <laughs> fact, the thing that would be most respectful to Pete Carroll is hiring, not the next Pete Carroll because he's part of the tree, hiring the next Pete Carroll because of the process. Yeah. And that's what Mike McDonald may be, is somebody who thinks like Pete Carroll, operates like Pete Carroll, but is half his age. And you don't need to be part of his tree to necessarily be that. I don't know how pumped and jacked he is. I don't know how much he likes gum. But like Mike McDonald could be a very good coach in Seattle. I'm not sure if that's the case with Dan Quinn. So one of the things that third public brother Mina Kimes has touted in and having Mike McDonald as her top candidate pretty much this entire process is the Ravens' success against Kyle Shanahan in particular. The Ravens held the Niners to 17 offensive points, picked Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold a combined five times in their Christmas night win in San Francisco, the Niners' only meaningful loss since October. And obviously the Seahawks had to be plenty impressed by the Baltimore defense in a 37-3 road loss in November. So the other thing I mentioned, I did some research on this. I took the list of coaches and their backgrounds that I'd compiled last week to look at fourth downs and instead looked at like EPA for their teams. Yeah. And 
So the evidence suggests that there is a very small advantage offensively for offensive coaches and a very small advantage defensively for defensive coaches. But the net for those groups, it's basically about even. Like there's, it's even though that the McVay Shanahan hires have generally done pretty well, there's still no evidence that like in general, having an offensive coach leads to more success than having a defensive coach. There is a lot of evidence that having a special teams coach because of John Harbaugh <laughs> exclusively. Uh, Maybe the Seahawks should see if John Harbaugh is available. I, I think right now, the if it's Mike McDonald, and, and I, I ultimately, I think it's going to be Mike McDonald. I think Mike McDonald is taking this job. I think that the Seahawks, uh, I think the Seahawks are a more desirable job than Washington. And I think that he just feels more Seahawksy, if that makes sense. That makes sense, although what the commanders mean is is evolving and you know, it would not be as much of a move for him to go from Baltimore sure. to DC. So that's that's something worth But it's not considering. like he's I mean, he's from Boston and it went to Georgia. Like it's primarily East Coast, but it's not like he's from Baltimore. I, I know. Well, the odds seem to be improving that the Seahawks they might who knows if this can be Mike McDonald, but they might hire a Mike as their head coach because the other emerging court candidate is Mike Kafka the Giants offensive coordinator. My ESPN colleague, Dan Graziano, reported Tuesday that uh, you know he still has a chance to be the Seahawks head coach. I don't know if I buy this. He's another 36-year-old who was most recently on an NFL roster in 2015, uh, then spent one year as a grad assistant at his alma mater, Northwestern, before linking up with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, where he started his offensive quality control coach before becoming quarterback coach and then added a passing game coordinator title in 2020. The Seahawks interviewed him when they hired Shane Waldron as OC in 2021. I think he was someone we would have been perfectly excited about at that point. Kafka then got his opportunity as an offensive coordinator the following year under Brian Dable with the Giants, getting play-calling duties there despite Dable's offensive background. That worked well in 2022 when the Giants jumped from 32nd on offense to 17th and reached the playoffs. But the offense regressed to 30th this year, and the reporting suggested Dable took an increased role in play-calling, and there's even some speculation that uh, that... Uh, Kafka could be out as an offensive coordinator entirely with the Giants. Yeah, I, I, I'm not buying this. That Mike Kafka is actually a legit candidate. I don't. I think it is. I guess at this point, probably Mike McDonald or bust. I don't or Dan Quinn. Like that's it. And I think if they get to Dan Quinn, that will be straight up consolation prize. It would be because Mike McDonald either chooses not to be a head coach somewhere, just pulls a Ben Johnson, or gets hired by Washington. I mean, Kafka could be a candidate for offensive coordinator under either of those coaches in that scenario. That that could be, we you know mentioned that as a possibility for why the Seahawks were conducting some of these second interviews with coaches that didn't seem to have strong track records this season. I just, there's something specifically about the like desperation for Mike McDonald when all of a sudden it's like, wow, like it is, the room is getting thin of candidates. And at the same time, like Mike Vrabel's still out there. Bill Belichick is still out yeah. there. But you know, just have not shown any interest that has been reported in those candidates. And and that is partially to me why I feel like Mike McDonald is the guy. You know what I mean? Like if you're interested in Dan Quinn, if you're that interested in Dan Quinn, why wouldn't you also be interested in Mike Frabel? And maybe it's Mike Frabel once. Mike Frabel doesn't have the Seahawks background. No, I, I, I do think that's an appeal to them. What Seahawks background? Like it, you're saying with Dan Quinn? Yeah. But... It just feels like if that's the type of coach that you're looking for. Also, Dan Quinn has coordinated successful defenses in recent years. <laughs> Mike Vrabel has not. 
Well, and so that's where you come back to Mike Kafka, which is just like, what about Mike Kafka is making him a candidate? It does feel a little Cliff Kingsbury-ish in terms of like potentially failing upward into an NFL head coaching job. I, I'm literally but, just, I tell me what is, what about him? Why is Eric Bieniemy not a candidate if Mike Kafka is a candidate? It's a, it's a great question. Is that all you need to be is a former quarterback and not going to say it? We all know. Podcast number two. <laughs> we just can't. I didn't say we can't. But it li- literally, is that all you need? He has a fun name. Like, Mike Kafka has done nothing in his life to indicate that he should be the coach of the Seahawks. And Mike McDonald has been extraordinarily successful everywhere he's been. You, you, I mean, you come back to, like, you look at the units. Like, I know that Dan Quinn in Dallas, that they had a, a rough playoff game and, you know, how much influence an individual coordinator has. But, like, Dallas defense has been really good the last couple of years. It makes sense that Dan Quinn would get another head coaching job. It makes sense that Mike McDonald would get a head coaching job after the number one offense. It makes sense that ben, or number one defense it makes sense that Ben Johnson. I mean, would why get a head are we not talking about Todd Munkin? Right? Like, why is that not? I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, you can look at kind of like he's some, not one of the two Ravens coaches who's I, in the mix. I will in tell DC. you this: we're gonna fight about this right now. You want to give me a former quarterback? Who also was fired? Who I think is sh- should be in a better position to be a head coach. Mike Kafka was not fired, for the record. Who could be fired? Give me Ken Dorsey. I would rather have Ken Dorsey well, in this very moment. You know, every time I go to my calendar for the month of February, I'm reminded of when Ken Dorsey was fired, and we made a bet on whether Ken Dorsey would get a head coaching interview this year, uh, and I said no, and you said yes. Ken Dorsey did not get a head coaching interview. I'm go ahead and give myself a W on that one. I mean, you could kind of look through the top teams of, of DVOA and just be like, I mean, the Todd Munkin one is kind of a surprise to me. It's mostly teams where their head coach is the guy, right? right? The play caller. So you have number one, San Francisco. Number two, Miami. Number three, Buffalo. Joe Brady wouldn't be ready for it because it's he just was only there for half the year. Which, But I'm telling you, their DVOA didn't change that much offensively That's, between Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady. Number four is the Baltimore Ravens. Number five is Ben Johnson. Number six you would, is Green Bay, and that's LaFleur. Number seven is McVay. Number eight, Andy Reid gets all the credit there. Uh, number nine is Dallas. And who is their OC this year? I don't know, but Mike McCarthy went back to calling he plays. He was calling plays. Number 10 was Philly, fired their offensive coordinator. Kind of, kind of astonishingly, uh, Brian Johnson. Number 11 was Cincinnati, and their offensive coordinator got a head coach job. Number 12 was the Seahawks, and you're kind of just like, Shane Waldron would be a better head coach candidate to me than Mike Kafka. I mean, obviously, they, knew, they, they had Shane Waldron. They knew Shane Waldron. The fact that they didn't give him an interview probably speaks to some degree. But you, this is kind of like a lot of the top half of the league. You can explain it away as far as the OCs, and... Mike yeah. Kafka is at the very, very bottom. And those are kind of the opportunities that are popping up. I mean, the real great place to be is if you... The, this is the argument right here for somebody who's really excellent coming... If Mike McDonald's the coach. Oh, if You know who the offensive coordinator was? For the Cowboys? Who? Shotty. Oh, and honestly, a good offensive coordinator. There was one thing where it was like Ben Johnson credits... Uh, his philosophy to Gus Bradley. Oh, really? Yeah. Or no, sorry, Daryl Bevel. Um, oh, yeah. And I was like, hell yeah, he does. Daryl Bevel came, came off quite well in the uh, hard knocks in season. Um, 
But like, so if you're a head, if you were a hot offensive coordinator candidate and you're looking around for jobs, basically every one of these other teams, either they have an offensive minded head coach or they have a coordinator who's going to be a head or, they, or who's going to be a head coaching candidate, right? So if you're Mike McDonald and I feel like you could look around the league and be like, I can kind of find anybody who's ready to be an OC from that pool. And this would be the place to be. Because you're all the way down right there. It's mostly, I mean, the good thing is that most of the teams that have offensive coaches have pretty good offenses, uh, which is the way that I think this is supposed to work. It's also most of the best teams in the league. Makes me a little bit nervous about the possibility of hiring a defensive coach. But yeah, I told you over that, that's 2014 through 2023. I didn't look at 2023 specifically. Like the, we're talking decimal points of EPA difference between offensive coaches and defensive coaches in okay. terms of their offenses. I mean, when you look at overall DVOA, it gets a little bit closer. But like, who are, even are the defensive coaches that are left in the in the playoffs? No, like in the league. Oh, well, a number of them just got hired recently. But you know, D'Amico Ryan's. I mean, ranked twelfth in DVOA. It's not a lot. Baltimore. San Francisco, offense, offense. Sean McDermott is... You know what a pretty good DVOA is, not a defensive coach. Sean McDermott is a defensive coach? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's that's one of the strongest examples, yes. Um, don't, But it's also an example of a team that didn't have a very good defense and has a very good offense. Uh, Dallas is offense. Kansas City is offense. Miami is offense. Detroit is offense. Cleveland is offense. Pittsburgh is neutral. Jacksonville is offense. Cincinnati is offense. Houston is defense. Uh, Nick Sirianni's background as an, as an OC also, right? Yeah. 2023 specifically. Uh, There's like two teams, maybe three in the top 15 or so of DVOA who have defensive minded coaches. 2023 specifically, there was an advantage for offensive coaches overall. Anyway, if you're going to hire a defensive coach, it had better be the right one. I, I guess mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, so look, I, by the I time you listen to this, the Seahawks may have a new head coach. I I still I I don't know. I'm I'm we, very confident it's at, going to happen while I'm driving to Portland tomorrow. If it is Mike McDonald, I think it is good process for where they are, and they, whether they were going to hire Ben Johnson or not, it's just not a possibility at this point. So you might as well try try to hire the coordinator from the number one defense in the league and one of the best defenses of all time. Yep. That's I mean that's kind of it. Like. They're, they're not going out and trying to hire fucking Mike Kafka overseeing the 28th best offense in the league. 28th. 30th? 30th. <laughs> that is just, I don't, literally, I, I don't even know what we're doing here. Yeah, the 30th best offense in the league. It would be a very surprising situation if you got the head coaching job. But we can talk about that when it happens. Let's move on and talk about Little Woody's Seattle Burger Month. Wow which starts next week celebrating its 10th anniversary. Per tradition, this week, the week before, is a return of last year's favorite from Burger Month. In this case, the Paju Jr. from Bill Jong of Paju, which features Golbi sauce, kimchi cucumber coleslaw, and gochujang aioli. I don't I didn't pull up my rankings last year, but this was definitely a very strong burger. This year's chefs in Seattle Burger Month are... Aisha Ibrahim from Canlis, Connor Cronin from Darkalinos, Janet Basira from Pancita, and Taylor Cheney from Yala. So always an exciting time of year with the Burger Month. Uh, we have not yet heard what the item you're going to get if you do all four burgers is this year. 
with that, I think it's time for Coach's Corner. Wow. I guess we did it emergency pod styles. So that was basically our Seahawks section. That was. At the front. Uh, so <clears throat> I've mentioned that this team that I'm coaching, pretty aggressive. First graders. They're all COVID kids, right? And I don't, the other kids on the other teams, I chalk it up to COVID, but none of the kids on the other teams seem that aggressive. <laughs> Only the ones on mine. And there was a kid who he actually got called out last week, uh, but ejected in both the first or the second and the fourth quarters. Every quarter he played in, oh, there were many tears shed. It reminds me of the time that we thought you were ejected. That's, from that's the what game. that's what I was coming back to. When we had, do we have like six players available, and you got ejected, <laughs> and like, then like all of us degrees. couldn't take a break. And it, it was so hot that day. It was also like one of the best games I have ever played of like organized basketball. <laughs> uh, I had at least eight points in that game. Really. Oh, that's my recollection. And who's going to disprove that now? Okay, so my team is so aggressive. And I was thinking, so the kid pushes somebody in the second quarter, boom, ejected. Fourth quarter, grabs the ball, throws it at the wall. Did he, he come back for the third quarter? Like he was just, he was he, just he only, he, he time sat out on for the, the remainder of the quarter? I think he was actually outside for the entire third quarter. Okay. But he was, you play on and off. It's not like he was going to be in the game. Yes. It's not like I needed him on the bench as a sub or whatever. Um it's it's like or you were going to point point out to him what was happening on the court and have and yeah, yeah, coaching on the sideline. <laughs> it's sometimes it's like having a Tasmanian devil on the team where you're just like I don't know what he's going to do or whatever. But a lot of the kids are like that where it's like it, there's like three or four kids on the team that are just liable to do anything at any time, including your own son. <laughs> and when I'm, that's why I feel comfortable talking about it. And I was like I I I feel really supportive of the kids who are just going through it, right? And going through it in every scenario. And I'm like, that's why I wanted to coach this team specifically. Where I was like, give me everybody, right? I want I want all the kids with bad behavior. <laughs> you and you I actually was like, told the league this? <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I actually sent an email to the league. I literally am not even joking. There, there were certain kids that got assigned, including this one kid, got assigned to a different team. And I messaged them and I was like, hey, I know his parents. There might be some behavior concerns because I know them. Can you transfer into my team? And then the next day he was on the roster. It was like, here's your new roster because they were like if somebody wants that let them have it and I was thinking about it and I was like actually it was Mrs. Fantasy Genius she was like do you remember when you were kicked out of the game and I was like I was like oh yeah I got into a fight at the boys and girls club or whatever and she was like oh yeah that was terrible and I was like no 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 not that time <laughs> that was in Shoreline we were way up north for that game no I'm talking about the, the YMCA when I played oh, on the Sonics team, wow! And the dude was aggressively boxing me out, got into a fight with him <laughs> in that game. <laughs> uh, I only have the one technical from fifth grade, where I was the only player in our league all I, season to get a technical foul. I used to fight in basketball like kind of a lot, and so I was like, "That's why I'm now drawn I'm, to these kids." Now you're just fighting deleted podcasts. <laughs> We, the part where we really thought you turned off the <laughs> recording. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but but so my child, he's out there, uh, and th things aren't going his way exactly. He gets like called for out of bounds. He he beautifully saved the ball in. And granted, out of bounds is a state of mind in this league. <laughs> like it's not like there's a, a hard like there is a line but if the ball's pretty close they're gonna let it ride because they're in first grade and so he like contorts his body professional looking I would say he's a very smooth basketball player contorts his body to save the ball in and they blow the whistle and rule with the other team's ball and he is livid 
about it. And so he's just yelling. He gave them the ball, but he I think he might have ran up and shot after just to like protest. And I hear this yelling from the court because I'm pretty far from him. And he's like, the worst referees. <laughs> <laughs> the shit. He's screaming it on the court. I don't think the refs even have any idea what's going on. He said it a ton of times. And he was like, this league has the worst referees of any league. And I'm like, dude, they are just like 15-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, they are the worst this referees. This isn't Dick Bavetta out there. 100%. Like, there's not a personal vendetta against you. They just called you out of bounds. And he's screaming this. And I'm just like... I mean, there's, I'm not going to run out of the court and tell them that the refs are okay or whatever, but it wow. definitely transferred such, down such a success me, fan. my perspective about referees and their general merits uh, down to Mateo and his first grade basketball league. I like, <laughs> we have a bye this week, in fact, and I'm a little bit happy that uh, tensions are going to cool. Yeah, cool off. Yeah, cool off before he sees those referees oh, again. This is also, it's the exact same referee that last year I called a timeout to yell at. <laughs> And, and it's fine. Like, I wasn't mad at him, but my, te- my team was playing by the rules, and the other team wasn't. And you have to call it, to me, like, if you're going to have stupid rules, you have to call those rules so fucking precisely. You know, if you're going to be like, I don't know if, if, if people one. can't steal the ball, and one team is stealing the ball, you have to call it every time they're stealing the ball. Because like you say about hand-checking, you have to call it until they stop doing it. Yes. And so that, that's why I was just like, dude, like, they're stealing the ball from our kids all the time. And I understand you don't want to stop play every single possession, but if you need to stop play every single possession, stop play every single possession. Anyway, we're cool now. Me, me, me and the refer, we're good. How we're, did the game go? Uh, I don't know. We won. We didn't win by enough. I was mad about it. There was, in fact, there was like kids scoring at the end, and I was the only person in the building not happy about it <laughs> because it's like every time we give up a point, mm-hmm. and, and somebody makes a shot, they make a shot or whatever. But if we're playing defense and we're like three feet away and give them an easy shot, I'm not happy for the other kid. I'm mad at how bad our defense was on that play. And they're, it's just like... They're first graders. I, look, I understand. But we are coaching this. We are coaching for them to play defense perfectly legal, but to be not stand three feet away. So I'm just like... You're either coaching or you're allowing it to happen. Exactly. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> Who's that quote from? It's just a general coaching axiom. Oh, yeah, I'm going to yell it at the kids this week. <laughs> I'll yell it at the parents to let them know why. <laughs> there was... Uh, anyway, we had, a, we had a really good practice, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I, really? I, the team's getting pretty good. We're 2-1 and one now. I mean, you know. It won't be as fun at Coach's Corner next week. They're getting in a league where they don't keep score. Uh, <laughs> We're probably two and one. It won't be as fun a coach's quarter next week without you having had a game since then. <laughs> Mateo's going to... Oh, this was the other thing that I wanted to mention. So while we're on the topic of Mateo. So he was so upset about... He's an Eagles fan, as you know. I, I do know. He's not just an Eagles fan. He is all the way down to a uh, Delaware Bluecoats fan. What? Like... <laughs> He he doesn't like the Thunderbirds. And I was like, do you have a minor league hockey team in Philadelphia that you like too? He's on the Flyers. Is he He, aware of the existence of Delaware and how it's proximity to Pennsylvania? They're the minor league team of the the G League team. We saw it on the broadcast yesterday. He learned of their existence and now he is a diehard (laughs) fan. Island too, a pretty good mascot. Not going to lie. I don't think even people in Philadelphia are diehard Delaware Bluecoats fans. Maybe people in Delaware are. Uh, So... He was he was really upset though because he was like 
I'm so sad that I go to school every day and there's no other Eagles fans there or Philadelphia fans. He was like, people are going to make fun of me. And I was just like, dude, if you're going to be a Philadelphia fan, you have to own being a Philadelphia fan. You can't sit here and whimper to me. You're a fan of the city of Philadelphia right now. You have to out-aggress everybody. And so now he adopt he heard that and he internalized that. And he's just like every moment that he's acting out of line, he's like, this is normal behavior for a Philadelphia fan. <laughs> so I'm like getting a McDonald's today and he's like, hurry the fuck up with my McDonald's. And, I'm, and his mom is like, that is not okay to say. And he's like, it's normal behavior for a kid who's a Philadelphia fan. That's his justification for everything being out of line is that for a Philadelphia fan, this is the worst thing that I ever taught him. It was like when I taught him how to proudly lift a middle finger. And let me just tell you, he learned. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> uh, baby fantasy genius. I was, I, I was upset that he was whimpering about being a Philadelphia fan. And I was like, you can't be a fan of the team that boos Santa Claus and then be like, I'm so sad that there's no other Philadelphia fans here. Right? <laughs> you do not agree with this perspective. You prefer the whimpering. <laughs> I don't know if I prefer the whimpering. I think there's a happy medium in, what, in between. I, I'd like to see ESPN's Kevin Pelton on parenting. Yeah. Every, <laughs> everybody's a genius parent till they have kids. Let me tell you, I was in charge of them for four or five days. I don't know how long you were in Hawaii. Like three years ago. No one came back an Eagles fan. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Under my watch. No one became an Eagles fan. He's been threatening to be an Oregon fan over the weekend, and I was just like, I swear to God, be a fan of Philadelphia, be a fan of Georgia, I don't care. There will be no Oregon fandom in this house. So Jabbar Muhammad. Oh my God. <laughs> no, that's not what we're talking uh, about. Just that's not what we're talking really about. Really? Support the players. <laughs> Should play wherever they want to play. Remember <laughs> his best for that. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> Troublingly, troublingly good. Uh, let's talk about the Mariners it's as we fine. get we into got, our we roundup. Got Muhammad. We got we got Ephesians. We got Ephesians, baby. Trader Jerry is at it again as the Mariners dealt reliever Justin Topa, newly acquired pitcher Anthony DiSclafani, and two prospects, including newly minted MLB pipeline top 100 prospect outfielder Gabriel Gonzalez. DiSclafani! To the Twins for second baseman Jorge Polanco. There we go. Polanco brings a career 780 OPS to Seattle, including 789 80 games last season with a heavy weight on power. Hit a career-high 33 homers in 2021 and 14 in just 80 games last season. Polanco was an all-star in 2019. He's a switch hitter who historically has been a little better from the left side. Started his career as a shortstop before moving to second base in 2021, then also played some third base last season due to the arrival of rookie Edward Julien, who claimed his starting job with Polanco, sidelined by a hamstring injury, helping make him expendable for trade. Uh, Polanco turns 31 in July, has seen his strikeout rate climb in the last two seasons, including a career-high 26% in 2023, just barely Jerry DePoto approved. But the biggest question is probably his health. He started 2023 on IR due to a knee injury that ended his 22 campaign prematurely. Polanco signed for $10.5 million this season with a $12 million club option for 2024. So with DM sending out cash to offset DiSclefani's salary, pretty much neutral in terms of payroll. Bullpen death does take a hit with the loss of Topa, who led all oh. M's war leavers in war last season. Topa Chico, we'll miss you. Yeah. But at the same time, never heard of him before the year. So. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, go make a new Justin Topa. Yeah. 
Gonzalo is the real prize here for the Twins. The 20-year-old played for the Aqua Sox last year, was ranked 79th in MLB Pipeline's top 100. But look, the Mariners haven't increased their payroll, but they have gone out and added another hitter and more power to this lineup, which is suddenly looking, I think, that much more competent at this point. I totally agree. I, I also think, I mean, like, I'd, I've never heard of Gabriel Gonzalez before this. You don't necessarily like to lose any top 100 prospects. Uh, but at the same time, this this is a... It's not a going all in on the season move. No. But it's a going in. Not all. You're going in. Moving the needle slightly in the going in direction. And the thing that it really... That they needed a lot last year, especially offensively, was just more bats and more major league bodies. And that's... You've been saying it over and over again about the Rangers lineup and how deep it was. Oh, I mean, you see Jorge Polanco coming up. It's not a like, oh, he's going to be out. Uh, I I think it is uh, for somebody who's going to be somewhere. I mean, it's, you know, modern lineups, so he's probably going to hit one through nine at some point, um, depending on who's hot. But like for somebody who's going to slot in as like a five, six, seven hitter, is a pretty solid five, six, seven hitter. And... You know, losing a prospect, losing a reliever, losing a six starter, like those are things that you can get past. And the chances of Gabriel Gonzalez or any prospect in that range becoming a superstar level player are pretty slim. The reality is Gabriel Gonzalez, most likely in his career, you have the team control, but most likely in his career will never be as good as Jorge Polanco. Right. So... And as good as Jorge Polanco is going to be this year, it's it's the team control that you give up, and it's the risk of you know any prospect could become a very very good player. So, but but at the same time, Jared Kelenic was, and not that he's the perfect example, but Jared Kelenic was a top ten prospect at various times, okay. and probably there's still a good chance he'll I mean, never if you're be the 79th as, best prospect. The odds are you should be worse than the 79th best player in the major league. So like, yeah, outside the top 100, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like what if he was a top 20 prospect to be a different scenario. He's a good prospect. He's nice for the Twins. Jorge Polanco's do- uh, salary figure, though, is pretty solid considering what you would have had to have spent for a player commensurate to that in free agency. Like, this is, this is what they've done under Jerry Depoto and have done, honestly, I know people hate to hear it, a pretty good job of this. Going out and finding a player like Jorge Polanco, who is, can be a middle-of-the-lineup hitter, has some potential to be better than he was last year, has been an all-star before, is not decrepit as far as age. Nope. He's still relatively in his prime and is at a pretty solid dollar amount. Like, that's worth giving up somebody like Gabriel Gonzalez for. Yeah. I mean, it's a completely reasonable deal to me, especially given the timeline. I mean, I think you go back to, like, the original Moneyball. One of the things C.A. has talked about in that book is, like, if you're limited in terms of salary, and the Mariners unfortunately are, you're going to have to choose which warts are acceptable. And the wart that they have chosen is acceptable this offseason is not strikeouts. That's not okay. It's it's injury risk. You look at the guys that they've added, the both Mitches, Jorge Polanco, there's a lot of injury track record among those three guys. And if they all stay healthy, they're going to have an amazing season. If all three of those guys are hurt, it could really tax their depth. But that that's why you need the depth too. Right. And I, I don't think that they've given up a ton of depth because... This was the slot that when we were doing this exercise no, a week ago, this was Josh Rojas's sp- slot. Well, I and mean, he's now still you, there. Now you have three. Yeah, you have three guys for two spots between Urias and Rojas and Polanco. Now between second and third base, and and they have 
pretty solid depth in the outfield, even after Kellenic. Eh, they have some depth in the outfield. They have a, a lot of players who are hypothetically major league ball players. They're probably not going to play Sam Haggerty at DH this year. That one would hope. No, unfortunately, the bad news is with Polanco's arrival, Sam Haggerty no longer projects on the opening day roster, I don't think. Really? Yeah. We'll see. So that's probably tied to some degree. He's out of options, though, right? He has one option left. Probably tied to the second deal that the Mariners made on Tuesday where they acquired infielder-outfielder Samad Taylor from the Royals for a player to be named later or cash considerations. The 25-year-old Taylor made his MLB debut last year playing 31 games after hitting a career-high 302 at AAA Omaha. Uh, noted for his speed, he went 43 for 53, stealing bases at AAA in 89 games. He scored, stole 43 bags in 89 games, then went 8 for 8 with the Royals. Has played primarily at second base in the minors, but saw more action at left field with the Royals. Has also played third base, center field, and even a little shortstop, and he has two options remaining. We're going to love some odd Taylor. Oh, Samad Taylor's definitely going to have a moment where like, he steals a base and scores a run. It's going to be great. Just infielder, outfielder, just baseball player. Yeah. Yeah. Man after my own heart, without question. Traded for a washing machine. <laughs> Bobby Marks tells this story about they sold their second round pick that was used on Kyle Korver. And they literally used it for a fax machine. <laughs> they actually oh, yeah. they actually bought a fax. What team? The Nets. The Nets? <laughs> times were that rough? And when they were in New Jersey, times were that rough. <laughs> I would have kept the washing machine, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Major League Two line? <laughs> it's, from, uh, it's from Semi-Pro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that makes more sense. All right, the Seattle Kraken. Uh, snapped their four-game losing streak last Wednesday Definitely against Chicago. Definitely playing games. <laughs> and took, we, are, we are in that part of the hockey season. We are. And took points from their last three games to their homestand, including an overtime loss to the Blues, before closing out the pre-All-Star schedule Tuesday in San Jose with a 2 nothing loss. Uh, Kraken head into the break 21-18-10. They are fifth in the Pacific Division. 10th overall in points in the Western Conference. So they're in the mix for the playoffs in a way that they were not, uh, you know, before their nine-game winning streak, but still more likely on the wrong side of that line. Uh, wait, the Edmonton Oilers have won 16 games in a row? Is that, that a factual thing? And they're only 29 and 15 overall? That And they only have one overtime loss all season? Those are many bizarre stats that I'm seeing here in the NHL standings. Uh, good news, they continue to get healthier. Matty Beneers returned from the IR for the last two of those games at home. Uh, despite Philip Grubauer's return, Joey DeCord unsurprisingly continuing to start in net for the crack and uh, expect that Grubauer will probably just be the backup going forward with Joey DeCord playing as well as he has this season. So they'll be they'll be off for the All-Star break coming up this weekend. They don't play again until February 10th. So it's it's an extended break here for the Kraken and everyone else in the NHL. Uh, Seattle Sounders News. The Athletic reported and Sounder at Heart confirmed that the team is finalizing a contract with Ford Denny Muscovsky, an MLS free agent. Or Musovsky joined Real Salt Lake in 2022 after two-plus seasons with LAFC. has been incredibly productive when he's on the pitch, averaging 0.4 goals for 
goal six goals per 40 90 minutes in MLS play better than the 0.43 Real Rui Diaz average last season but last year's 14 starts in 1200 minutes in league play were a career high may have to accept a smaller role so long as Jordan Morris stays at striker and Rui Diaz stays healthy but for now uh, Masovsky replaces the underperforming Bear and 36-year-old Freddie Mondero as depth both of those players out of contract for the Sounders who continue to train in Marbella. A little Seattle Storm news. We mentioned Neka Ogumake visiting uh, Storm in the mix there. Again, one of five teams that she's visiting after deciding that she's going to leave the Los Angeles Sparks for whom she's played her entire career. Uh, free agents can begin signing contracts officially on Thursday, but the one thing that can happen between now and then is that players can accept their qualifying offers as reserved, restricted free agents or reserved free agents. And the Storm saw that happen before joining her homes. Uh, so she signed a one year, non-guaranteed one-year deal at her minimum. Therefore, a training camp contract will come to camp with the Storm to try to make the team after playing off the bench last season. So more to come on the Storm. I think, like, Neko Kumke is a real possibility. Boldly predicted Skylar Diggins-Smith to the Storm. I think that's a real possibility. We'll see how they come out of this free agency, but it could be much more competitive than they were in 2023 third fighter just dropped okay. <laughs> it was more of tristan working primarily oh no reading that universal was talking about taking their music off tiktok and seeing how it affects certain artists huh. well there you go i hope they do more more for you burn it down you don't no no i have artists signed for universal distribution oh you know, women's basketball suffered a 62-44 loss last Friday at number two UCLA. Their 44 points were a season loss against a UCLA team that played without star center Lauren Betts as they had just two players scoring double figures with Delia Daniels needing 17 shots to score 14 points. But that loss was quickly forgotten. As on Sunday, the Huskies took down number 11 UCLA, wow. bouncing back in a huge way to hand the Trojans their first home loss this season. Huskies built an 11-point halftime lead, never trailed in the second half, making six of eight free throws in the final minute to hold off a USC comeback attempt. Lauren Schwartz played all 40 minutes and scored 21 points, while Delia Daniels had a double-double of 12 points and 13 boards, and they held star USC freshman Juju Watkins to 19 points on 8 of 27 shooting with six turnovers. The win pushed the Huskies to the last spot in, wow. in ESPN's bracketology. So they are firmly on the bubble right now. The reward for that win, facing two more top 20 teams, albeit at home this weekend. Utah number 20 after getting blown out at Oregon State on Saturday, Sunday to drop to 5-4 and four in conference play. They started 7-0 and after reaching the Elite Eight last season, but haven't been the same after losing sharpshooter Gianna Neepkins to a season-ending foot injury. Utah still boasts a powerful interior force in Alyssa Peely, who's 22.3 points per game on 59% shooting, ranks 7th nationally. But without Neepkins, no other Utah player is averaging double figures. So this is an outside chance the Huskies could pull off the upset here. Okay. On Sunday, it's Colorado who dropped three spots to number six after losing last Friday at Oregon State. Their two other losses came at home against UCLA and against North Carolina State and the U.S. Virgin Islands. They are second in the Pac-12 at 7-2, and two, uh, led by Aronette Vonley, younger sister of former Blazers forward Noah Vonley. Really? Vonley. I yeah. was going to say. Yeah. And, uh, I love Noah Vonley. And outstanding. Still, still believe in Noah Vonley. It's going to oh, yeah. at some point. Really crushed Utah back in whatever year, 2013, 2014. That was a long time ago. Where did he go? Cal? Indiana. 
Indiana. They played them at Madison Square Garden when I was there for that tournament. He was like one of those all potential college players that you knew, like realistically, was never going to put it together. But oh, I didn't know that. I still believed when the Blazers traded for him. For he Batum. wasn't bad. He had some moments. Just couldn't couldn't he's, shoot. He's the type of player who you love even when they're not that good. Right. I played so hard. Yeah, and and also you're just like you can see the potential in them. I mean, that's he got drafted number nine, right? Might have even been higher than that. I feel like he was picked nine for some reason by the Hornets. Yeah. Yeah. And he's one of those players where you're just like, yeah, but if he puts it all together, he's going to be a beast. And if that's if that's what you're doing and you're picking pick nine, like they're probably never going to put it together. But sometimes you, they do. That's otherwise they wouldn't get pick ninth. Fans in front offices alike really love them. Vonley was, in fact, the ninth pick. There we go. See, I know weirdly a lot about Noah Vonley. I know where he went to college. <laughs> <laughs> no idea of that. Uh, also led by their outstanding backcourt. you said that, I remember he went to Indiana. But Colorado also led by their outstanding backcourt of Jalen Sherrod and Frida Foreman. And they also feature ex-Huskies Quay Miller and Tamiya Sadler. All right, you'd have men's basketball. Things were looking pretty bleak on Wednesday. Things are still looking bleak. You're really way too excited about this win. Don't After... you dare tell me not to feel bleak about Husky basketball. <laughs> After they lost 98-81 to Colorado at home that 98 points allowed the most this season in regulation as the Buffalo shot 55% from the field, 28 free throws, making 26 of them, and had 11 offensive rebound. The Huskies actually shot 54%, their third best of the season, and a best in a loss since shooting 56% at Auburn in November 2018. Keon Brooks Jr. had 22 points, but Sabir Wheeler limited to 6 points on 3 of 11 shooting, and Corin Johnson left that game with a shoulder injury that sidelined him Saturday against Utah is improbably the Huskies crushed the Utes 98 to 73 getting 27 points on 10 of 17 shooting from Brooks a double double from Wheeler with 12 points in 10 assists Paul Mulcahy and Moses Wood combined for 35 points making six threes in 11 attempts overall the Huskies 11 threes were their second most this season and they held Utah center Brandon Carlson to nine points and forced 14 turnovers the sum result of this was the Huskies moved up in Ken Palm over the weekend despite the loss I, I just, it's too, I, I, there are actually a lot of games left, I will say. So many games left. That's what I keep telling you. There are 10 games left? I don't, yes. They are precisely at the midpoint of conference play at four and six. And there are precisely five home games and precisely five road games. That is correct. So, but if they get to 500, it's still not an NCAA tournament team. No. They'd have to do. They'd have to go at least twelve and eight in conference play to have a chance. So that'd be like eight and two over the last ten games here. I mean, th- there are some road games in there. The other thing is they play kind of one hard team for the rest of the season. Am I wrong about that? No, you're not wrong. Like every other game. God is God damn it! I talked myself into Husky basketball again. How dare you do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> this is me tomorrow, and just being like, well, if you look at the 2016 Falcons. <laughs> You have to say, if Dan Quinn was able to f- find Kyle Shanahan once and Steve Sarkeesian after that, he could do it again. I think we just have to have faith in Dan Quinn as the head coach. He's done it. He's given those coordinators the ability to create and operate on their own to success. Let Sark cook. <laughs> That's going to be me tomorrow. <laughs> Dan Quinn. Not actually. I, it's fine. I mean, they'll probably. It's fine. Jed Fish is a better coach than Kalen DeBoer, is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> apples to apples, a better coach. Look, the team being in Oklahoma ultimately <laughs> is better for the city of Seattle. 
When you look at the 91 Huskies, I think you have to say to yourself, the sanctions actually were better for the program overall. If it weren't for those sanctions, you never have Michael Penix. That's all I'm saying. I mean, Don James has said many times that his doctors told him if he didn't retire at that point, he would have had serious health issues. Exactly. What other horrible things have happened in Seattle sports? Look, I think it was actually better that Ken Griffey Jr. requested a trade. You, you know what? Long term, I mean, you have to factor in the the basically the the spark of the 2001 Mariners is the moment Ken Griffey Jr. requests a trade. That's it. That's all I'm saying. If Ken Griffey Jr. is on that team, you don't get the 2001 Mariners. And ultimately, losing in the 2001 season <laughs> was good because eventually you end up with Julio Rodriguez. Somehow you're going to have to find something nice to say about each of us. <laughs> That's the real all joke. Star, greatest rookie of all time. Wow. Your pick of the Seattle Mariners as Seattle <laughs> sports figure of the year was a genius pick because you covered the entire team. Thank you. Sam Haggerty is part 125th. <laughs> Seattle sports figure of the year. talking myself into <laughs> <laughs> Jabbar Muhammad being on Oregon actually is good. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So that win Saturday came with the Huskies banged up. Corin Johnson did not play due to that shoulder dislocation on Wednesday. Braxton Mia left in the second half with an ankle sprain. Um, my Tickets cop- as low as $75 for the Apple Cup of Basketball? Are you sure? That can't be right. Maybe there's a lot of Washington State fans buying tickets. We'll talk about that in Are a second. Are they good? Uh, Mike Hopkins Washington said, State being good at basketball is actually a good thing. <laughs> it's going to benefit the Mountain West <laughs> yeah. long term. It's going to it's going to be good because it's a harder West Coast conference for Gonzaga. Yeah, <laughs> let me let me tell oh, let me well, tell you why Gonzaga is going to come up here in a second. Let me tell you, I've done the <laughs> let research. Let me tell you why every single program leaving the Pac-12 is good for Washington State. Mike Hopkins said that Frank Kepnong will return to practice this week after missing the last 11 games with a new injury. And then the first I've seen this, Percy Allen reported uh, this week that Wesley Yates II is redshirting due to the injuries that have kept him out all season. So the Huskies will get a couple of extra days to rest, not playing until Saturday's first matchup of the Apple Cup Series against a red-hot Washington State, the Cougs are tied for third in the Pac-12 at 6-4, and four, have won five of their last six games, sweeping the Mountain Schools last weekend, and quitting a massive upset yeah, of nice, Arizona. Nice win in one of those games, Huskies. At home. Uh, Washington State currently in the bracketology, first four out wow. alongside Gonzaga. <gasps> they are technically higher on the list than Gonzaga. I might just cheer for the Cougs in this game. <laughs> just, to keep, just to keep Gonzaga out. I mean, the Huskies, wow, they really are that expensive. Are, let me just, any person who's thinking of going in this game, are you sure? Again, it, you could it, be a Washington it, it State fan. Be, it must be Coug fans excited. There's no way a Husky fan saw that game against Colorado and they're like, yeah, give me more of that. Wow, do you know what the last time was the Washington State made the NCAA tournament? Was it, uh, it was, oh my God, the, the star point, Derek Lowe, was that his name? Uh, probably Derek Lowe was on the roster, yes. Wow, it's been that long. Yes, it was Derek Lowe's senior year. Jesus. What year was that? 2010? 2008. Eight? Oh Kyle Weaver, God. future Thunder. Yeah, Kyle Weaver. Kyle Weaver was also a senior. Aaron Baines was a Clay junior. Baines. Uh, Clay Thompson had not yet turned up. 
in Pullman at that. This point. was before Clay Thompson. Yeah, Clay Thompson. He first... didn't make an NCAA tournament. No. Wow, we fucking vanquished them in that Pac-12 championship. God, I was trying. I was telling Luca about this because I was telling him about how I threw my arm out of the socket cheering for UW basketball, and I was like, imagine a time when my number one team of all sports teams was UW basketball. I know it is hard to understand, but like they right, they were for the city of Seattle. They were the peak. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, they were probably the most exciting team. I mean, this was we were doing this podcast. They had the hammer. It was like Seahawks early. We were not doing this podcast. If we were doing oh, this I podcast, yeah. we would have invented podcasts. <laughs> you would have had to literally no. put it on your iPod. I podcasted in like 2006 with David Locke. He was way ahead of the game. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Stormcast, shuts doing. Still have the uh, RSS feed for that up somewhere. <laughs> That's got to be valuable. Right, anyway, I was t- I was like, Luca, UW beat. I think it was Arizona. Tell me if you remember this game. It was a Saturday. It was, I think it was when we clinched the Pac-12. In like 2000, and I was at UW. So I think it was 2007, six or seven. No, mm-hmm. no, they I were started, not good in 2007. I, I don't think they five. won the Pac-12 in 2006. This might have been the year that we got the number. No, I wasn't at UW when we got the number one seat. That was the year before I got there. It was the next year. 2006, they beat Arizona in the final game of the regular season. I think that was the game. What day was that? March 4th. And it was a Saturday. Yep. Saturday, March 4th, 2000. At Arizona. 2006. I was at Western Washington University in a dorm, the common area of a dorm, watching this game and celebrated so aggressively, pumped my fist so aggressively, my arm came out of its socket. And then I was on the floor writhing in pain, screaming just publicly out in front of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That was how happy I was about a University of Washington men's basketball team winning a game which is bonkers to think about as we sit here in 2023 and I look at my phone and I'm like, oh, Huskies are losing or even they're winning. I'm like, who cares? Uh, They finished second in the Pac-10, one game behind UCLA who went to the final four that year. This was the year that we lost to Illinois in the NCAA tournament. No. Not Illinois, to UConn. They beat Illinois and then lost to UConn in the Sweet 16, yes. I like that Illinois team too. Uh, Not as much as the year before. I saw Illinois like doing pretty well this year and I was like, I'm kind of hyped to get to the Big Ten in basketball. So did you hear the news? No. So there's 18 teams in the Big Ten now. Do you uh-huh. know how many are going to make the Big Ten tournament? How many? 15. Wow. <clears throat> it's going to be the honorary not University of Washington Big Ten tournament. They're not even going to let us in. <laughs> I, I feel like we the can make the top 15. They won't even let I'm, us into the tournament. I'm optimistic we can make the top 15. Like if we were in the Big Ten this year, we'd be one of the best I love the idea teams. that we're upset about this. Like, oh, wow, we really could have <laughs> struck it big as the 16th team in the Big Ten. Could have won the tournament. It was tough the year. I think that was Romar's first year. The Huskies didn't make the Pac-10 tournament. They they had a limit on the Pac-10 tournament? They only took eight at first. That's really Because they didn't want student-athletes to miss too much school time. What a quaint time it was. Who's currently the 15th best team in the, the Big Ten? We would make it this year. This this current Husky team would make it. We'd have to beat out, oh, Michigan has not had a great season. They yeah, take that, Michigan. Play. Indiana is 88th in You Ken may Ball. have won the, the 
They're actually <laughs> college football playoff, but UW slightly better than you are at basketball. Yeah. Yeah, it's not been a good year for Jawan Howard. Uh, anyways, Washington State tops to 61 in both offensive and defensive efficiency, led by third year freshman guard Miles Rice, who's averaging 15.6 points, 3.6 assists after missing last Did you just season. Say third year freshman? After missing last season while battling Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, so he okay. got a medical red shirt for yeah. that. Uh, the Cougs shoot very few threes, but are accurate inside the arc, rarely turned over. Defensively, they're elite on the glass and allowing opponents to shoot just 45% on twos. Nation's 15th lowest mark. Gonzaga really is. Who's going to win the West Coast Conference? Yeah. I think St. Mary's has rebounded considerably. I love St. Mary's. From when they couldn't even manage to get to a matchup against UW in the the championship of the... Where is Gonzaga and Ken Palm? They're still 20th. They're actually seven and one in conference play. <laughs> I mean, it's still the West Coast Conference. Like that's the thing. I mean, their only meaningful win is against USF at home. You they need beat them to by five. Dominate in that conference to on Saturday that large. What? Saturday's real game. What for for you is Gonzaga hosting St. Mary's. Wow. Okay, let's freaking go, St. Mary's. I mean, is there a chance that Gonzaga, if they if they're down for a couple years? They no. may never recover. No. no. You think they are in, ensconched? I don't know if they're ensconched, but I don't think that you think they'll they are... never recover is extreme. Aren't there certain programs? Usually it's when you lose a coach, but like there are certain programs that were legendary programs for a long Like Indiana's. Indiana. But Indiana always has the chance to have a really good year. The, Indiana was very good last season. But like good every single year. Uh, yeah. That's that's harder to pull off after that legendary coach lives leaves. Has has there? I mean, there really hasn't ever been a situation like Gonzaga before. Not in the modern era, I wouldn't but, say. I mean, Wichita State is maybe the school that like was pretty consistently a very good mid major for a long period of time until their coach ran off all their players. And once the once players were allowed to freely transfer, all of a sudden Wichita State fell off. Hmm. So. I don't think that's who's the, the coach, Greg Marshall. He oh. got fired. Did he? Yeah. God, where was he from before then? Wasn't he somewhere else? I want to say he was from Winthrop. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a guff, rough go lately for Wichita State, which is currently nine and eleven this season. Okay. Well, I look forward to this game. St. Mary's can tell you. <laughs> yeah. All right, UW football. Some players are actually committing to play for UW next season. We got them. Early enrollees quarterback Dramaricus Davis and linebacker Kamori House both withdrew their notifications of transfer will stay at UW. Davis and Devon Williams Jr. both coming to UW as four-star freshman quarterbacks. This is going to be they'll kind all of stay on the team. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to stay on the team, but you know, maybe they'll compete for the somebody's going to win the, win the competition. But I, I also, let me just tell you, if you're the University of Arizona, you went into last year with a starting quarterback, and you ended last year with a different starting quarterback. You think that Noah Fafita is going to transfer midseason? <laughs> <laughs> is that your implication? Here? No, I'm just saying, if one of these two players is good enough, Will Rogers can be beat. Oh, yeah. In a competition. I'm That's not, what I'm saying. I'm it's, not counting as an official bold prediction anymore because these guys don't have a year of experience in the system like Austin Mack did. But uh, I, 
you crazier things have happened. I like that there are players that you're going into it, and it's like if Jed Fish is out there, and all of a sudden he sees Matt Flynn. If Will Rogers is Matt Flynn, and Demon Williams or Demarcus Davis are Demaricus, Demaricus, and Demaricus Davis are Russell Wilson, turn it over to him. Yeah, so, by all means. I, I like that idea. It's not like Penix, where Penix came in. I mean, there was a competition <laughs> between him and Dylan Morris, but like... And Sam Heward. Yeah, and Sam Heward. A lot of people thought Sam Heward was going to win that competition, friend. Uh, back I'm up, not saying this is going to happen. I'm saying it could happen. Backup offensive lineman Landon Hatchett also announced he'll stay, despite his brother Garyon transferring to Oklahoma, as we referenced earlier in this pod, for up to two years of eligibility. Landon still has three years left after playing nine games as a true freshman. Running back Tyro Rogers will return after running for 184 yards as a true freshman, serving as the primary backup to Dylan Johnson. This was a little surprising, given yeah. the depth for the Huskies there was at running another, back. I don't know if you saw this, because it was just a tweet from it Bob Cantona. It doesn't it's, seem confirmed as yet, but yes, there was a running back from New Mexico who may be tweeting. His numbers looked great. Yes, I don't know where he fits with all the running backs. That's, I literally was going to say, like, Jed Fish might have to invest in a hat looking at this... <laughs> At this roster, and you're like, this well, team probably should be running the damn well, ball. Let's see who the offensive line is first, because <laughs> that's the biggest question mark right now. But could do is on the throwing the ball front. Jeremiah Hunter reaffirmed his plan to transfer UW after not yet having enrolled. Oh, role. my God. I didn't even know to be worried about this one until I was looking at UW Dogpound's roster tracker. It's one of those things where like, all of the transfers that were coming in, that were they, were they had no ties to the University of Washington. And so him coming, I mean, you have to give Jed Fish a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Uh, this was one that we were excited. He might have been one of the number one receivers, even had Kalen DeBoer been here. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy Bernard transferred, Jalen McMillan went to the NFL, so it seems like more of a need than we thought, but we thought it was a pretty big deal at the time. Uh, B.J. Green the second did end up at Colorado. It didn't seem clear whether he was going to get into school at UW because he had never been announced as one of their transfers. This was the pass rusher from Arizona State? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I believe Sunday, the last day for players to submit notifications of transfer following Kalen DeBoer's departure, although it might be Tuesday if the 30-day clock starts with Jed Fish's hiring. Uh, one more player did uh, apparently submit a notification of ta- transfer, uh, tackle Jalen Clem, who had transferred here from Kansas State. Uh, so again, the offensive line depth taking a hit I'm because both guards headed to Mississippi, Hatchet, two guards headed to Mississippi, Hatchet headed to Oklahoma. Uh, we mentioned Jabbar Muhammad many times, and then also a real bummer, Asa Turner headed to Florida. Where uh, did Ja'Cory Krosky say that he was transferring to UW? There he is in a UW jersey. People said looking it. Looking through his Instagram stories. Yeah, people said it on Instagram. So, But I could not find his Instagram. This, Wait. This does kind of look like it. down this post? Oh, that's a different person. Okay. You know, he's just retweeting someone, reposting someone. These are Husky fans asking for him to come, it sounds like. So, uh, I mean, they're not. They're he's not, reposting them. Yeah, I, I feel like the chances are good, but we'll, we'll get to that when it like happens. <laughs> okay, get to the big one. Ephesians Price. There it is. There well, it is. Have fun in Oregon. Have fun living in Eugene, Oregon, <laughs> Jabbar Muhammad. We got him. We got him, people. It's Ephesians time. Elijah Jackson, Ephesians Fry Sock. Get the fuck out of here, Jabbar Muhammad. Your scholarship is rescinded. 
It's not rescinded. If By, he wants me. To come back. By me. By me. But look, Jed Fish's letters to Ephesians worked. There we go. He's following it from Arizona. Uh, in all Pac-12, honorable mention is a true sophomore starting all 13 games after making three starts as a true freshman. Prysock was originally a four-star recruit, has two years of eligibility remaining, though he could be a draft candidate next year. I mean, he's a 6'4 corner. This guy, like, has the NFL frame. I have never... I, I've watched him play. I didn't know that I was watching Ephesians Prysock <laughs> play. But I, I love Ephesians Prysock. <laughs> yes. There has never been a player I've cared about more. Devin Witherspoon, Ephesians Prysock playing cornerback wow. in the city of Seattle at the same damn time. What number does we Ephesians Prysock Blessed wear? Era. Uh, number seven. Uh, it was going to be 21. That would have been impressive. We'll see. Maybe he will here. You never know. Anyway. Anyway. Let's, let's check out what Ephesians 7 has to say. <laughs> a good name is better than fine perfume. No, that's Ecclesiastes 7. No, that's, oh, uh, I don't know why God, that, that showed damn up there. it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now they're gonna have to sign a player named Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. And I'm, most importantly, have fun in Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> Jabbar uh, Muhammad. It's great. It, look, those twelve times a year that something interesting happens, and, you, and in fact, they only play probably seven home games, something like that. I'm sure they play seven home games. You know, that'll be a really great time for Jabbar Muhammad, those seven days a year that it is palatable to be in Eugene, Oregon. But otherwise, if you want to do anything else with your life, just have fun. I just, I, I hope they have you a good time because in the city of Seattle, Seattle, Washington, we have Ephesians Prize Sock. Uh, also have San Jose State. I don't think about State. you at all. <laughs> Linebacker <laughs> Brian Parham. Uh, the Lime, Long Beach native. I kind of like that getting one from San Jose State, where it's just like, thank you. Can the, we just get something here? Earned All Mountain West honorable mention after leading the Spartans with 106 tackles last year. He's a two-year starter with one year of eligibility remaining. Take that guy from Vanderbilt who transferred somewhere else. I don't remember. Ethan Barr. <laughs> Ethan Barr. Yeah, that's, Ethan. The, that's the he role. Went that he went to UCF. Yes. <clears throat> Replaces the role that Barr was set to play since the Huskies. Uh, haven't suffered any transfer losses at linebacker, obviously, at F1, Yulafoshio, and Raylan go forth, both exhausting their eligibility. But they bring back Alfonso Tupatalo as a starter. Carson Bruner probably moves into the starting lineup. I, d I actually don't know how many linebackers Jed Fish's defense typically employs. Also, the, C the Huskies have no defensive coordinator. Presumably <laughs> at some point they're going to pick a defensive it. coordinator. Seahawks don't have a coach. <laughs> Huskies don't have a defensive coordinator. I mean, but, I guess they But still you know who has IHOP? That's Ephesians Prysock. <laughs> they don't have it in Eugene. Uh, they do still sort of have co-defensive coordinators because uh, they had them last year with William Inge and Chuck Morell, and they have not gone elsewhere. Look at him. So. That's a ball player right there. How tall is Jabbar Muhammad? Not 6'4". I'm, I'm confident yeah. of that. All right, a little bit of other Seahawks news before we wrap things up. Five here. foot ten. Pathetic didn't stop him from making many key deflections including against Oregon did he was Jabbar I don't think Jabbar made any of those plays we did against Texas that's for sure Elijah Jackson made a play against Texas are you joking Jabbar Muhammad made many good plays against Texas oh, the play was Elijah Jackson I, yes the final play of the game was Elijah Jackson who's who's still here one of the greatest moments in Husky history I, I, was Elijah Jackson I who's staying in the city of Seattle Look, if you make nice plays during the game, that's fine. Go have fun. I play mean, that Oregon game. State game, he pretty much single-handedly won that game, Jabbar Muhammad. Uh, 
A little more Seahawks news. The Bears hired Seahawks assistant quarterback coach Kerry Joseph is their quarterback coach. He's following Shane Waldron to Chicago. Uh, so excited to see that for a Seahawks legend. Uh, some former Seahawks defensive coaches now headed to Philadelphia. Clint Hurt will be defensive line coach there. Carl Stott, defensive back coach. I don't think they have they officially announced Vic Fangio as their new DC yet. I don't know if they have yet, but uh, that's that's pretty clearly going to happen. Jimmy Lake also landing a job. Well, that that was the next piece of okay. news here that. Former Husky coach Jimmy Lake will be the Falcons' defensive coordinator under Raheem Morris. He worked with Morris, Morris last season uh, with the LA Rams while Morris was defensive coordinator. And look, like whatever happened during Jimmy Lake's period as head coach, and it was not good on a variety of levels uh, from the run the ball damn, damn ball hat to the strikey a player on the sidelines against Oregon in what turned out to be his final game as head coach. Jimmy Lake runs really incredible defenses, and I think he's going to be quite successful. It's kind of amusing that just like Sark ended up the offensive coordinator for the Falcons as part of his transition uh, after you know he was fired at USC, that Jimmy Lake ends up the defensive coordinator there. That's kind of fitting on some level. So. Yeah, and that's why Dan Quinn should be the coach of the Seahawks now. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, let's double-check Twitter here. The Seahawks have still not hired a head coach. I don't think it's, it's happening. Eleven fifteen p.m. Tuesday night. Again, it's it's probably going to be. It's one of those things. You where can just you're pencil like, it in for somewhere between one p.m. and four p.m. as you're driving Wednesday. Hey, Dame's coming back to Portland. Yeah, it'll be a moment. I'm excited. So, hope he roasts them. I hope he scores eighty. Perhaps we'll have an emergency pod later this week. If not, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks.